0: Yesterday morning, prosecutors for the Southern District of New York held a press conference about a surprise arrest they'd made over the weekend.
1: Today, we announced
0: the unsealing of sex trafficking charges against Jeffrey Epstein. They were charging billionaire investor Jeffrey Epstein with sex trafficking, describing a scheme in which Epstein recruited dozens of girls to give him nude massages or have sex. And then he groomed these girls to recruit friends. The abuse happened in Palm Beach, in New York City. This allowed Epstein to create an ever-expanding web of new victims. This conduct, as alleged, went on for years, and it involved dozens of young girls, some as young as 14 years old at the time that they were allegedly abused. As they placed Epstein under arrest, the FBI raided his mansion on the Upper East Side a building so big it used to be used as a school. Agents pried open his 15-foot-high oak doors with a crowbar, and inside, they found a safe stuffed with pictures of more girls. One of the few journalists to have been inside Epstein's mansion is a writer named Vicki Ward. She profiled Epstein for Vanity Fair back in 2003. She still remembers the entrance hall, which was lined with prosthetic eyeballs.
1: Oh, I remember those. They were so creepy. I remember, you know, going, going to that house and the whole thing being so strange. At the time,
0: Epstein was a bit of a New York City mystery. He seemed to have a lot of money. No one was quite sure where it came from. One acquaintance described him as like the Wizard of Oz.
1: Everything about him is creepy you got the feeling that his friends weren't real friends, he owned them. That he's the kind of man who collected information about people and then used it over them. The most spooky thing of all was that after the meeting, one of his assistants phoned me and said, you know, Vicky, Jeffrey wanted to, to let you know, he wanted me to tell you, he thinks you're so pretty. Well, I mean, that just really, uh, I thought, was so inappropriate. It felt sinister, actually.
0: Well, it's interesting, because the indictment today, it's about alleged abuse that took place while you were reporting.
1: Yeah. Yes, I know. I know. How bittersweet is that? Because... Because, you know, that I had the story, right?
0: After visiting his mansion and investigating his finances, Vicki did one more thing. She interviewed women who said Jeffrey Epstein abused them. But she did these interviews more than 15 years ago. Today, we're going to talk about why it took so long to hold Epstein accountable. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Why were you assigned the article in the first place? Why were you interested in Jeffrey Epstein back in 2002 to begin with?
1: Yeah, you know, so it's it's, it's ironic. I was assigned the article because I had a difficult pregnancy with my twins. And I had just come off, a, off of a year where I had spent a lot of time flying and traveling. And actually Graydon Carter, the editor of Vanity Fair, thought he was doing me a favor. So I wouldn't have to fly because I lived in New York and Jeffrey Epstein lived in New York. And so he thought it would be a relatively easy social piece. And the reason for the fascination was that Jeffrey Epstein had long been a sort of mysterious, great Gatsby type figure. Everyone knew he was very rich. No one knew how he made his money. He lived in the largest private residence in Manhattan. It's a former school. And, and yet you never saw him out at parties. Um, and he was known to be friends with important people. And what the, the particular peg for that 2002 story was that He had appeared in the New York Post's gossip page, page six, saying that he had flown Bill Clinton and Kevin Spacey and others to Africa. And it was so unusual to see his name that that was actually what tweaked Graydon Carter's interest. He said, you know what, I've been hearing about this guy for years and here he is in page six, but no one really knows anything about it. There are just all these sort of wild rumors. So, you know, Vicki, it's easy. It's an easy report for you. So that, ironically, is how the whole thing started.
0: Okay, so tell me a little bit about what you knew about Jeffrey Epstein that the rest of us didn't.
1: Right, so I discovered sort of two really important things. The first was that he was not what he claimed to be. Uh, He wasn't really this great money manager for billionaires. There were no signs of activity in the market that he'd done any trading for them. The second really important thing I discovered about Jeffrey Epstein was that there were allegations made on the record to me by two women that he had assaulted them. And in one of their cases sexually assaulted her when she was under age.
0: It's interesting because you're reporting,
1: you did find
0: many financial irregularities and questionable dealings when it came to Jeffrey Epstein. But you say that when you had conversations with him, he seemed unconcerned with that reporting, stuff that might get him in trouble with, I don't know, the SEC.
1: you know, it's interesting uh, because I think so many people had asked Jeffrey Epstein over the years. So many financially sophisticated people had asked Jeffrey Epstein over the years about how he'd made his money because so many people couldn't understand it. And I think that he was practiced at deflecting. I don't think he was actually unconcerned, but it, it, it was, what is true is that he kept coming back to the women I mean, it was like okay, so here's my answer to this, and here's my answer to that. Here's my answer about best friends. Here's my answer. But, 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 Vicky, what have you got on the girls? What have you got on the girls? He even said at one point, "There's not going to be a story about me without girls." Well, your article
0: itself is is filled with all of these, these little tells. You know, you talk about how there are many women in Jeffrey Epstein's life, mostly young. Yeah. But you had gotten women on the record who made terrible claims against Jeffrey Epstein and those claims never ended up in the final piece. Tell me what happened there.
1: Yeah. So, you know, they were very brave young women, two sisters who had been, you know, alleged that they'd been sexually assaulted, you know, separately. In fact, for a long time, the younger one who was underage at the time, never even told her older sister about it, it was a classic story of a rich man preying upon the ambitions of a young woman without means. The older sister had known Jeffrey socially in New York. She had worked for him as an art consultant. The younger sister uh, had wanted to go to an Ivy League school, and Jeffrey Epstein had promised to pay for this. But on the condition that he spent some quality time with her. What does quality time with Jeffrey Epstein look well, like? Well, so you know, it's the uh, it's the it's the story that's become so familiar, right? He wants a massage, and then the massage turns sexual. So these two sisters had their stories that I went and corroborated. Their stories were not only with their mother, but with other people, including, you know, the artist, Eric Fischel. So it was a, you know, it, it took a lot of courage on their part to talk to me. It took a lot of work for me to, to be certain that what they were saying was correct. And the story was then ready to go. And then Jeffrey Epstein, uh, unbeknownst to me, went to see the editor of the magazine, Graydon Carter, in his office and the result of that conversation was that Graydon told me he was pulling the women's stories from the piece. He told me that he believed Jeffrey Epstein and he said he's sensitive about the women. So we got to take them out.
0: As a reporter, I mean, you'd invested so much time in this. What was your reaction?
1: Oh, I, I mean, I I cried. I mean, I I don't often cry in public and especially in the office, but I couldn't believe it. And, you know, I was told that it's better as a business story. I mean, it was a very good business story, but that wasn't the point. And, you know, I was coming towards the end of my pregnancy. I was so stressed that I actually ended up having my babies were born dangerously early. And then I had to put guards on them because Jeffrey Epstein had told me he had found out which hospital they were being born at. And, and because he had told me that if he didn't like the peace, you know, I had reason to worry. I actually had to ask the hospital to make sure that they had 24 seven security for two months. I mean, it was a, it was a horrendous, it was a horrendous time.
0: Yeah, you wrote in the article, one reporter received three threats from Epstein while preparing a piece. They were delivered in a jocular tone, but the message was clear. Yes. I assume that reporter that was, was you. Me.
1: No, that was me.
0: For a reporter like Vicky, today's indictments were both surprising and not a surprise at all. Because Jeffrey Epstein has faced similar charges before. In 2008, he was charged with solicitation of minors in Palm Beach, Florida.
1: So there were two parallel investigations. There were FBI, but at the same time, there was a separate investigation uh, spearheaded by Alexander Acosta, the US attorney. And he quietly struck a non-prosecution agreement with one of Jeffrey Epstein's attorneys. And his argument for doing that was that he got the best deal he could because he thought that some of the witnesses wouldn't look credible on the stand and of course Acosta is now the labor secretary right but so this was when he was the the US attorney but the problem with what he did was that it cut off the FBI's investigation um and the victims were never notified so they never had to go They never had the chance to go to court to protest it. And that, it would later turn out, was a complete breach of the
0: law. In this Florida case, Jeffrey Epstein spent only a year or so behind bars. He was in his own cushy wing of a local jail. Six days a week, he got released so he could work out of a private office. He even told one reporter, I'm not a sexual predator. I'm an offender. It's the difference between a murderer and a person who steals a bagel. Late last year, the Miami Herald brought this decade-old case back into focus with a series of stories they called perversion of
1: justice. And very importantly, it caught the attention of a Republican Senator, Ben Sass from Nebraska. And he teamed up with 15 Democrats and demanded that the Justice Department hold its own inquiry into how there could possibly have been such a clear breach of justice and a judge subsequently upheld that in fact, the law had been broken. You can see why now that the political climate is completely different, why the FBI would feel emboldened to do that.
0: You say the political climate has changed. And what's interesting is that that political climate doesn't seem to me to be Democrat or Republican. It's something else because both Democrats and Republicans <laughs> were connected to Jeffrey Epstein. So can you characterize a little bit when you say the political climate has changed? What do you mean?
1: Well, I, I think obviously, we, you know, the world of Me Too and Time's Up, has unquestionably changed people's tolerance. I mean, that is is, uh, a result of the times, right? That is a result of the fact that people have finally woken up to the fact that men in, in positions of power often abuse women who are unable to fight for themselves. I mean, I think that the, the other thing that struck me sitting in New York, you know, my beat is kind of the money power uh, beat. And so, you know, how Jeffrey Epstein's rich, powerful friends still <laughs> defended him. That has what that's what's always you know, I've always thought, what is it that makes Jeffrey Epstein so untouchable? It's really extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, back
0: in 2003, I mean, you reported he was hobnobbing with Nobel laureates and, you know, the president of Harvard. And of course, you know, there was that plane trip with Clinton. And, you know, when Jeffrey Epstein's Black Book was published by Gawker, it had just about every number in there for Donald Trump you could have. And so it does raise this question of,
1: Yeah, no, if I was if I was a big crony of Jeffrey Epstein's right now, I would not be feeling great. (laughs) I, I would I would be expecting a knock at the door.
0: You know, charges against Jeffrey Epstein are coming from the Southern District of New York's public
1: corruption unit. Did that surprise you? It didn't surprise me because it raises the possibility, and I am speculating a little bit here, but it does raise the possibility that bribery has been involved somehow. And I think, you know, that's something to watch for as this story unfolds, because if a public official was bribed, it would explain why Jeffrey Epstein has been so untouchable all these years. So, um, I was, you know, I I was a little surprised, but I also went, aha, it makes makes so much sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, some lawyers are saying that the only way for Epstein to get any kind of lesser sentence would be to flip on people he conspired with. Yes, I think that's right. From your reporting, is he the kind of person who would flip?
1: Well, I don't think Jeffrey has ever been cornered like this before. And I think that it's possible, you know, that he, he could have they could they could forfeit his New York residence. And I'm sure he's aware of that uh, under civil forfeiture rights. So I think that he he's never been cornered like this. And who knows?
0: You know, back in 2003, it was it was Graydon Carter, your editor, who put a stop to putting the women in the piece. Yeah. But you said you you don't really blame him.
1: Well, you know, I know enough about journalism by now. You know, I've been an editor as well as a writer that you're, he's looking at it from a different perspective. You know, obviously I don't agree with the decision he made at all. I think he made the wrong, completely the wrong call. You know, I, I think, you know, it's, it's very clear that uh, my, you know, my witnesses, my, my the vic- you know, the victims were credible and that we should have, we should have stuck to the story. I mean, editors made a mistake and this was a mistake that Graydon made.
0: You know, you cover wealth and power in New York City. I'm wondering how covering Jeffrey Epstein changed how you thought about those things, about your beat.
1: It, it just, it just made me even, you know, it made me deeply cynical. The Jeffrey Epstein story of, of, of all the stories I've done really had me sort of wringing my hands in despair about the fact that there does seem to be a very small group of people who just are untouchable. And so the weekend's news for me was personally, yeah, I felt like a great relief. You know, I've written a lot about, as you say, the the nexus of money and power. And it's funny, I would say that 95% of the time, there is a sort of karmic circle when people behave badly in some, and it can be quite an unexpected way that it, it catches up with them. But the Jeffrey Epstein seemed to be the exception to that rule as do, you know, and and so I'm very heartened that the FBI have, have, have done this.
0: Vicki Ward, thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you for having me. Vicki Ward is an investigative reporter and author. She just published a new book a few months back. It's called Kushner Inc. It's about Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. All right, that's the show. Today's episode was produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Ethan Brooks. My friend Mike Pesca over at The Gist has a fresh piping hot show for you. Go check it out. On today's episode, he interviews Anthony Ray Hinton, a wrongfully convicted man from Alabama. He spent almost 30 years on death row before being exonerated in 2015. Now he's hoping to end the death penalty. Go check it out. All right, I'll meet you back here tomorrow.